Hey, welcome back to .NET Rocks. Guess who this is? I might be Carl Franklin. And I might be Richard Campbell. That's not true. But that's not true. <laughs> Wait a minute. Switch that. <laughs> Scratch it. that. Reverse it. Do it the other way around. Happy birthday, man. Thank you, brother. It's a, it, you know, based, it was yesterday when, relative to when we recorded, but it's, you yeah, know, yeah. a couple of weeks now when we publish, but that's how it is. Yours is coming up as well. We're about the same age. We are exactly the same age by a month. Yeah. Well, so. a month and five days, but um, yeah, mine's coming up in August. August. August 53. Yeah. What's up with that? How do you get to be this old? I don't know. You and Stacy, uh, Put a picture up and you look very cute together. You like so. that? She, very so cute. her commitment during the pandemic was to stop getting the hair colored. And so that was the day she went and got all of the last of the color cut out. And so that's her natural hair color. And it looks almost exactly the same color as my beard. So that's what made that picture yeah. so fun, right? Was she, I, she had that salt and pepper up and I had the salt and pepper down. I love it when women just, you know, go natural mm -hmm. you know with their hair just let it go it's distinguished i always liked her 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 colored hair too it was very cool but where the where it's gone is neat like it's a it's a good look yeah so she's very happy with it i'm happy too that's awesome yeah well roll the crazy music because uh we both have something to share for better no framework go ahead <laughs> dude what have we got <laughs> well i heard that dev intersection has gone virtual and you guys are up and running and selling tickets yes it's true so uh virtual.devintersection.com uh virtual workshop event september 1st and 2nd and you're going to do your blazer workshop across both days i think Yes, I am. Yeah, so you're going to be working pretty hard. And this is, a, of course, a little experimental for us. We're normally an in-person show. And at this particular moment, the Dev Intersection Las Vegas show in December is on. You could still right. register for that if you want to do a person event and so forth. Uh, we don't have to decide yet one way or the other. You know, pandemics are like that. a unique experience and we don't really know what's going to happen there. So we are continuing for now, and uh, we'll decide when we need to decide if we can go ahead. But we thought it'd be a good time to do some virtual stuff. And there's lots of good stuff to talk about. There's lots of stuff to talk about. Now, is the virtual event happening at the same time as the uh, in-person event? No, no. The in-person event is December. This is the okay. beginning of September. So, they, they're totally different events. That's good. Well, I'm I'm working on some stuff that I'm hoping I'll be able to help out with by then, but we'll talk about that offline. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, it, it's all really good, and uh, the virtual thing, you know, everybody wants to be virtual now, and uh, I've been working on some of these problems around social interactions, you know, not necessarily streaming, but social interactions, and uh, that's what I think I might be able to bring to the table. Anyway, we'll talk more about that. As I, th I think it's wildly important. I think one of the big parts for us doing the virtual event as workshops was we've got this great lab engine working through Azure yeah. so that everybody doing a workshop can work on their own lab from their own home. And it, in some ways, it's going to work better than it would yeah. in person because we're no longer straining one network connection to the cloud. Everybody's got their yeah. own. So I, you know. I I wonder I wonder if extra monitors are in short supply right now because <laughs> I'm thinking <laughs> extra monitors, <laughs> webcams, microphones, like all of it. 
If you don't have three monitors going, like your laptop and two other monitors right now, you're screwed. Like you, you have to use multiple monitors now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you really do. Well, and for me, it's not only multiple monitors, multiple computers. That's just the way I like to work. I've got machines yeah, wrapped here. around me. It's just more productive, you know, they, yep. to keep, and it's also splitting the work up. That one machine that's doing streaming stuff and one machine that's doing development stuff. and But, you know, computers are not that expensive. And they are our jobs, after all. That's how we make a living. Really? Dudley. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. <laughs> all right, man. That's what I got. Who's okay. talking to us today? Grab the comment off of show 1611 from January of 2019. Only a little, you know, a year and a half ago. Which was our conversation with John Galloway and Beth Massey about the .NET Foundation. Because I figure we're probably going to be talking about that today. And I kind of feel bad about the show in the respect of we, one of the reasons we did that show was to promote the .NET Foundation uh, director election in 2019. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And they've just, you're going through the process of another one, and we missed an opportunity to promote it to get more people involved. So, uh, a little, little sad about that, but it's a great comment on sorry the show. About that. We, had, we had a good conversation about what the foundation was about, where it was going. And Robert Crom says this He says, uh, as a developer for an open source and free Windows screenshot tool, I could so relate to what John is saying about the work which open source projects have besides the development. There are so many facets in maintaining a project that sometimes it eats a lot of energy and you don't have any time left to code. This episode was very helpful in shining a light on what the .NET Foundation does, which I find really useful, and it confirms that there is lots of stuff happening behind the curtains, which most people don't see. I wish it Mm -hmm. was less, and I think he means, I wish there wasn't so much that need to happen behind a curtain, or maybe there was less curtains. I don't know which one that is. That we wouldn't need something like the .NET Foundation, but unfortunately... That's the way it is. And so I'm happy they are there and help with some projects that I use. Great. Uh, but yeah, a very positive thing. And, you know, I think the push from the time that this uh, conversation, which is, you know, over a year ago, year and a half ago, that there has been a push to try and be more transparent and try and make the .NET Foundation more run by its members than mm. by the folks at Microsoft to support it. So. Uh, Robin, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Music to Code By is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code By, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on the Facebooks because we publish every show there as well. And if you comment there and I read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Code By. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet and use that fourth monitor, please. <laughs> fourth monitor is a lot. Fourth monitor for Twitter. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Twitter gets its own monitor. Twitter gets its own monitor. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's bring on our guest, Sebastian Lambla. He's an independent open source advocate and consultant, helping people adopt new technologies, new processes, new methodologies, and in general, anything that's new and shiny. In his spare time, he's working on Open Rasta, a resource-oriented web framework for .NET. And uh, welcome, Seb. Hey. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, welcome back, man. It's been five years. We talked about Open Rasta in 2015. Yes. Yeah. What's going on with Open Wrap? That was something that you were working on before as well. Well, Open Wrap was uh, marketed out of the open source market <laughs> uh, in .NET. Okay. There's a lot that could be unfolded in that story. Well, that's where that's uh, you were working on Open Wrap about the same time that they started on NuGet, and you kind of ran into each other. Yeah, that's right. I mean, 
we we had different philosophies on on how to do package management. Yes. and I guess Open Wrap was probably more or less the feature sets that the latest NuGet with commands and everything else do now. <laughs> That's what we were trying to build at the time, and that was a little bit early because that was what twenty that code base was twenty ten, twenty twelve, something yeah. like that. Um, but you know, if there if there had been space for two in the ecosystem, then uh, the storyline may may have been different. But I guess packet managed to live well they arrived much later mm-hmm. but with a bit of the same principle so the market has changed a lot or the the ecosystem has changed a lot um but is it enough to is it enough to sustain projects like packet that's an interesting question you know i remember speaking of package managers i remember our one of our epic episodes it was a panel discussion and i talk about it often it was right in the days of, of Silverlight and before NuGet and trying to figure out what was the latest drop of Silverlight was really impossible. Uh, you had to go to Scott Guthrie's blog and, you know, and the, all of the blog posts were like, this is the latest version, you know, so you had to sort them by date and that wasn't really possible sometimes. So, you know, I think I even said on that show, you know, what I would really like is an RSS feed for for libraries that I could just download the latest and it would just work, you know, that was, has software development gotten too complex? That was that show. Mm-hmm. And that was, yeah, I think, I think that's where that's, I think that's where NuGet was really good when they started, we had different philosophies, but we were trying to build a package manager. They were trying to build a download me as a file. Yeah. Right. And I'm, I'm not stereotyping. That's what Phil Hack used to say about the products. They just wanted to replace the download the zip file ad reference. Now, I I personally thought that this would cause us a huge amount of pain down the line because if you don't do dependency resolution correctly, like transitive dependencies and the diamond dependency problem and all these things that are well-known problems, then you're in a world of pain for 20 years on the ecosystem. I don't know if the future showed me right, but at least they had a simple, simple solution to a simple, simple problem and they managed to get to market very quickly. Well, and I think it was something that the audience at the time understood, and so they jumped on board. There's no doubt NuGet had terrible problems after that, and they've had to grow their way out of it. You know, the number of conversations we've had, I think, just in the past year with folks like Rocky Latka about the punishment of being in NuGet for six, seven, eight years is all that those legacy evolutions that came. It's good now. Yeah, but I think it's better. <laughs> it's better. Yeah. better. It's well, better. no, I mean, you are, you are missing optional dependencies that, that solve a whole bunch of complexity mm-hmm. that people people have. That's the thing that no one is touching right now when it would be very difficult to retrofit. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, with NuGet, the reason NuGet was adopted was not because they had a simple answer to, or the only simple answer to a solution. There was there was there was a huge amount of learning that the community needed to make mm-hmm. in order to use package management. But it was because Visual Studio and Visual Studio developers were the ones holding everybody back. The project uh, system in Visual Studio was dictating the whole of the pipeline. Yeah, right. And if you didn't have Visual Studio developers willing to change something, you as non Microsoft couldn't do anything. Yeah. So most of our time was spent basically absorbed trying to get Visual Studio to fix bugs or writing Visual Studio plugins, which outside of Microsoft is nigh impossible, or was at the time. Yeah, very um, difficult anyway. Or trying to get 
brains to build this stuff and getting yeah. jet brains and us as well just telling microsoft we're trying to consume your feeds so would you mind for two weeks trying to stay compatible and not break us and then specifically telling us we're big we break things it happens full yeah. stop and i never i never edited a cs proj file before dotnet core and now it's a delight like i love just you know putting packages in there that way uh, you know, trying to edit a project file before that, you know, in, in a regular .NET framework was just like, what is that? What is all this goo in here? And do I really need to see all that? that that's, that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. But you need, you needed the whole of Microsoft. So, so this is really the core of, of the problem with ecosystems on .NET. To get Microsoft to move, Microsoft needs to have a product in the game. They never do otherwise. So we had a whole bunch of community efforts. OpenWrap was one package manager. I think there were three or four of us trying to fix problems with different approaches. But there were three or four different open source package managers, some from uh, <coughs> the guy in Texas, some from the guys in Scotland, and then there was OpenWrap in London. <laughs> it was just all, uh, we all knew each other very well. We were part of the same open source community. But we couldn't progress because Microsoft didn't care about working with us because they already had a product in their pipeline so they would solve the problems they faced for their product for their customers and we got squeezed out and there was no space for us to be there at all that's what happened that's the reality of the market pressure is we couldn't get microsoft to fix the build system to fix visual studio or even to get give us help you know it, it's just we didn't have that kind of contact with microsoft to do it that that's kind of the baseline of where we were in 2010 as far as open source ecosystem goes. And and, and your talk, the community you're talking about is alt.net. And uh yes. you know, they they were a passionate bunch. I think they were ahead of a lot of the regular developers. Like you we had Jeremy Miller on a year ago or so, and I said, by the way, you know, it turns out all oh, you guys were right. Like ultimately the market, the, the bulk of the .NET community has come to the things you were talking about in 2010, as, as, as has Microsoft. Maybe. <laughs> I, th I think we're living in strange technological times. Yes, absolutely. I think the spirit was right. Uh, the communication style was adapted to the way that Microsoft communicated with us mm. more than the other way around. Yeah. I don't want to get into the style conversation because it's... Uh, it's not helpful to try to deflect a conversation by saying, oh, yeah, but you use this word and that's not nice. Right. Because it deflects from the reality, which was Microsoft was actively trying to prevent us from doing anything because it was in the middle of their roadmap. That's how Microsoft works with external projects. And so people adopted a, a language and a style and a communication style, which was um, understandable due to the pressure we had in front of us from, from Microsoft. I would also say that 2010, 2011, 2012 was a very difficult time for communication at Microsoft. That was during yes. Windows 8, and they were really locked down. People lost their jobs for saying anything outside of immediate channels. Right. During the dark yeah. times. But it's interesting. It's interesting to judge where we are now, though. And I'm, and I'm um, absolutely with you. Like, like, let's talk about today. Because I think they're at a different place. The, uh, the, well, yes, they do open source now. <laughs> that's true. So that's a big shift, right? Maybe something. It's a great shift. It's it's a great shift if you want to send a patch or if you want to um, 
or if you want to see how the internals are done and any of us that is working on .NET is really, really pleased that all this stuff is open source. Our life is so much nicer and better now. Um, there is, however, the my problem has never been with Microsoft being closed source. My problem has always been with Microsoft killing its, its own ecosystem because of the release train and the marketing pushed and PM pushed uh, requirement for always building new products. So I think at the beginning of .NET Core, in the first versions, there was really a push to change stuff, to change and rely on package management and to rely on more external libraries and tooling and to rely on, on being open source as part of an open source ecosystem. .NET 5 is the .NET 4 of open source Microsoft. I think we have gone back to Microsoft doing vertically integrated tooling, then deciding or not what is boring so that they put it in the platform without asking anyone, and then creating their own communities and suffocating every single open source project that could be in the domain that they decide to invest in. That, that, today we're going back to exactly how they used to be as far as ecosystem is concerned because they want to integrate everything and they want their bits to interact well with their things. But that sucks the air out of the room. So we are, we, I'm not sure that we are very different from where .NET was. And, and, and my argument here would be they're hearing from the customer that that's what the customer wants, and it might be selective hearing. Um, and also, I mean, it depends on the tooling, right? Like what piece are we talking about here? The, there's a huge ecosystem around Microsoft. I know that's Bill Gates' claim to fame that the ecosystem must be many times, it is an ecosystem unless it's many times larger than the, than the platform that it's built upon. But you're talking about very specific pieces. I can't imagine anyone wanting to make a packet manager related to .NET right now because NuGet does suck the air out of the room. Well, it, the difficulty is how much innovation has been done by the platform for that kind of tooling. And I would say that if it wasn't for the community building stuff and they're getting all their exposure sucked out of the room, Microsoft would not have had the brilliant ideas they copy very easily. Uh, I completely hear you on ecosystem. And I, I do think it's a fundamental problem at Microsoft. I do think that they listen to some customers a lot more than other customers. And I was actually chatting with Claire at the .NET Foundation. Mm -hmm. uh, she was explaining to me a little bit all the brilliant things they're doing. And they're really working hard. Yes. Um, they are really trying to make a change uh, that is positive. But for their current remit, and the current remit, they, it's interesting because if you remember the Outer Curve days, yes. that used to be the Codeplex Foundation. Mm -hmm. One of the founding conversations was, how do we get more big enterprise to adopt open source? That was what Copex Foundation and Microsoft OpenTech and Outer Curve later on were. And I rehear those same, uh, those same problematics, those, those same uh, ideas about how we can help .NET open source going into the enterprise. But that's, that's kind of the big customers that Microsoft tends to talk to. But a lot of the open source communities that you find everywhere else is not in big enterprise. Mm -hmm. And those people usually express themselves by writing code on the platform. And can those people don't exist right now, I think. Can I go back to something that you said just a few minutes ago, which is that uh, in .NET 5, Microsoft has gone back to the sort of, um, you know, uh, this is it's our way or the highway kind of, you know, it's all going to be all about Microsoft. I'm I'm paraphrasing what you said, but, you know, they're going back to the sort of monolithic Microsoft culture. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I just want to know, how does 
the unification that's happening in .NET 5, just because it supports uh, Windows in, in certain parts of it, take away from, you know, doing uh, websites on Ubuntu and running in containers and doing all of the stuff that, that you can do that is non-Microsoft. Well, I, th I, think, I think the difficulty is that there are choices and dependency graphs when you build an application, and that choices that are made in the base platform, which is becoming more and more vertically integrated, have a direct impact in your capacity to create a product that's innovative or not. So I'll take an example that is technical-minded, but um, a lot of people have argued for a very long time that Kestrel should not be bringing all the Microsoft packages with it. I have an open source framework that I do web with. I don't need any of the Microsoft libraries. We don't even interact with them. But the whole dependency graph is there. I have no choice in logging now because Microsoft has said this is the new iLogger interface. Um, but you don't have I, to so, use it. You don't have to use it, but then you have absolutely... It, you don't have to use it if diversity was a principle that the community was not terrified of. If you ask people... Damien uh, was commented on the public Slack forum just yesterday. Liblog, uh, Liblog was a hack. Uh, Liblog is 10 years behind it of being able to do logging without having any kind of uh, crazy dependency chains. Right? So it might be a hack, but it's a hack that's been used by 10 years for 10 years by everyone. So you're saying you don't have to use it, but it has to come along for the ride. You, you can't link it out? It has to come along for the ride. Hmm? You can't link it out? Uh, well, I, I'm, I'm not sold on the, on the future of linking for most code bases at this stage. It's a great idea. Uh, we currently can't do linking. It would require us. So this is another example, right? Microsoft has said source, uh, source generators, mm. awesome technology. They're going to solve all the problems. <clears throat> we can't do source linking in OpenRaster because... We generate a meta model of what happens and then we pre-compile a lot of code, but we mm. can't do that at compile time. We need to do that at runtime. So the technical solution that they're using is going to instruct and be instructed by their next web framework version. Yeah. And they'll get a competitive advantage for the fact that they have developers in the CLR that are listening to the developers in ASP.NET and the two work side by side. And they push you out of the market. There is no way for me to be competitive in terms of binary sizes because by definition, the model that pre-exists all this stuff is just incompatible with what they care building. You know, this is an example where I can't be competitive. I hear what you're saying. You're basically saying there's so much stuff in .NET 5 that it doesn't leave any room for a uh, community to do any. Why would, a, why would there be a community logger when there's already logging built in? Why would anybody use anything else? Owen died exactly the same way. That's exactly the same problem with the same solution. When there so, has been an attempt at letting the open source community run a thing that profits from everyone, Microsoft went, looked, and says, yeah, okay, we'll just build it in the platform because someone in DevDiv needs it. Right. I, I, I kind of think that's Microsoft's MO with everything, though, isn't it? I mean, you hear stories about um, technologies that they've liked and they've invited people in to show them the technologies and work with them jointly on a product and then come to find out they're out the door and Microsoft took the idea and wrote it themselves. You know, that, and that's not I, just Microsoft, by the way. I mean, that's, that's the way it goes in software. You see it everywhere. Well, yeah, I think, well, I think, I think that, I think the point is 
Microsoft has a history of destroying open source communities actively and then passively, and maybe sometimes a little bit more actively these days. That's that's up for everyone's judgment to decide. But they don't get a. We're not in a level playing field. I've been I've been a, I've been a supporter and a critic of Microsoft for many many years, as you know. We've been having those conversations for fifteen odd years, uh, but. You can't hold them to the same standard as a small vendor that has four developers. It's not It's not a fact. It's not true. It's right. not a level playing field. And you need, I mean, especially in these days, I don't think I should argue that diversity is bringing innovation and sensibility to software. And that applies to code bases as well. It applies to companies as well. It, can, it, it applies in so many different uh, dimensions. And... The monoculture that we're seeing with this integration in .NET 5 means that if you have a successful open source project, your chances of Microsoft adopting it or it's being integrated in Visual Studio, uh, like most IDs do with technologies they don't own, is close to zero. And so you see people that have been doing open source for a very long time that pull back. On the other side of the coin, Seb, if you produce a better mousetrap, people are going to use it. Whether, you know, the, the one that's built in is more convenient or not. For case in point, I mean, James Newton King works for Microsoft now, but I still use Newtonsoft JSON in projects rather than the new system text JSON stuff that because it's better. It's a more mature product and it, and it's more compatible with a lot of the other APIs out there that, and so that's why I use it. So there's a good case in point for, you know, if there are better ways to do things that come from the open source community, that people are going to use them. I, 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 I would agree with you. Uh, we have some examples, but very far and few uh, in places where Microsoft money could have made existing open source products uh, a lot more powerful, a lot more integrated with their own IDEs. Mm -hmm. I, I completely hear you. The problem is when Microsoft enters the stage, you are competing for brains. I know that yeah. Miguel used to say it's not a zero-sum game. But if you've been in the open source contributors community as long as I have, it's definitely a zero-sum game. There's not space for people. Most open source projects are already struggling to get two or three contribs on a regular basis. So when you have something innovative, you can have thousands thousands of clients you're not you're only going to get a small cut of developers and those products are good and microsoft could be saying okay i can see the market is there we're going to put some integration in visual studio how do we make it work that question never happens that's what i want for microsoft in the future is to say you know what you want to use this framework or that framework will make sure that it's a level playing field technically and you can have the same level of visual studio integration because we're going to build it because we sell visual studio because it's a product, but they don't do that. And so you, you, you have open source developers that have just banged the door and they just go and say, well, you know, I write it, it becomes popular, Microsoft rewrites it, ProxyKit is a good example. Uh, I'm, I'm just leaving it now. I don't have the time or the energy anymore. Just, I, I have learned my lesson. Nancy has just died. Nancy FX has just died. That's the reality of the ecosystem today. Everybody loves Nancy. Everybody loved Nancy, and Nancy is no more. So you could say that MVC is good enough. Ask the guys that are trying to use Carter. The same reasoning why we had issues with uh, with MVC back then still exists. Uh, the alternative ways of modeling your code are still needed, but the ecosystem gets sucked up, and the 
the open source contributors become sucked out of their energy. They go. They don't want to come back. They'll, they'll throw some code on GitHub while it's useful and then let Microsoft do whatever they want with it. Because Microsoft on top of it is pushing a huge amount of marketing money to get people to contribute to their communities. And that's sucking the air out of the room. They have designers. They have they have the money behind it. They could help the rest of the open source community. They just help the communities they create themselves. That is not the Microsoft I want. And guys, I'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. Hey, do you remember that time you were searching Google for sheep and olive oil? And you got that sinking feeling that if anyone could see your search, they might completely get the wrong idea? Do you remember the Facebook ads? Yikes. Well, you might be thinking, why not just use incognito mode? Well, let me tell you something. Incognito mode doesn't hide your activity. It doesn't matter what mode you use or how many times you clear your browsing history. Your internet service provider can see every single website you've ever visited. That's why, even when I'm at home, I never go online without using ExpressVPN. It doesn't matter if you get your internet from Verizon, Comcast, or a local provider. ISPs in the U.S. can legally sell your information to ad companies. ExpressVPN is an app that reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers so your ISP can't see the sites you visit. ExpressVPN also keeps all of your information secure by encrypting 100% of your data with the most powerful encryption available. And most of the time, I don't even realize I have ExpressVPN on. It runs seamlessly in the background, and it's really easy to use. All you have to do is tap one button, and you're protected. ExpressVPN is available on all your devices, phones, computers, even your smart TV. So there's no excuse for you not to be using it. So protect your online activity today with the VPN rated number one by CNET and Wired. Visit our exclusive link, expressvpn.com slash .net, and you can get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash D-O-T-N-E-T. And we're back. It's .net Rocks. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Carl Franklin. Hey. Talking to our friend Sebastian Lambla about, I, I think this is a very interesting approach to this issue. And I'm going to contest every time you attribute malice to this. Uh, not that I think there's never malice to it, but I think it's extremely rare. But this argument about being more diverse in the projects as well, I, I think it is a, it is a tone that Microsoft's trying to find. And maybe it's, uh, it's time. Part of this, again, I would think is it's the customers that the customers are, are, as, are as interested in a monoculture as some parts of Microsoft are. And I'm going to definitely say some parts. You know, I know a lot of those people. You know a lot of those people. And they're trying very hard to be more diverse. Have they thought in terms of more diversity of projects? I don't know. It's, it's an interesting aspect of this. But I do get the sense from a non-trivial number of customers that they still like that era of it comes from Microsoft, so I use it. And that there could be more pressure put on them to say, you need to look further afield. And we we can build a showcase place to give you some choice there. And I think I think that's what Outer Curve and the Dotnet Foundation have been working on really hard for those customers, right? So that view of my... How are you feeling about the foundation? Because I, I 
don't know that it's got its feet under it yet. Like I'm still looking for the person who's not employed by Microsoft and is participating in the foundation and becomes a face and a voice. That's that's completely I that's completely it. This is why these elections are important. The board mm-hmm. the board of directors used to be nominated in an obscure fashion. This is the first real open elections. A uh, lot of work has come into that. I, I can't tell you I was wildly happy with it. Like, I like the idea that they did everything they could to distance themselves from affecting that. Uh, and, and there are some great candidates, without a doubt. I just, and I, you know, we opened the show with me admitting, ah, we missed an opportunity on .NET Rocks to promote. You should put in for the .NET Foundation. Because I'm going to hope that the lack of diversity I see in the candidates is because it wasn't widely enough known. I think it's also because, uh, to be honest with you, I'll be completely honest with you. I uh, I was very lucky that I contacted Claire and I said, "Listen, I want to chat. Do you have some time?" And uh, and we had a very long conversation, which lasted a lot longer than than we had scheduled for in the calendar. I came out surprised at how open they were to changes in directions. Uh, for the objectives of the foundation, which is not something that I've heard before uh, in my previous encounters with, I think it was Sam Ramshi back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I do think that they are willing, they are open-minded, uh, but certainly the .NET Foundation is not Microsoft. But the reality is the .NET Foundation has been working on those big customers. I think the big customers are the enablers for sucking up all the diversity from open source. And that working on them is important, but we need to give a voice today to the rest of the ecosystem that has been actively under attack by Microsoft, be it by incompetence, accidents, or bad words more than malice. That's a defendable aspect, but the reality is there. And I do think that from the noises I've heard, that that that, that election is going to be very important and that next board is going to be very important mm-hmm. because all those customers that are open source and the open source communities and the little projects that want to innovate in the little companies, they need to get a voice and they won't get them heard unless we use the .NET Foundation for that. Otherwise, the .NET Foundation is just an enabler for tools and that's great. Maybe that is, but this time I'm motivated. Yeah. Well, and I, so I ask you the question, Seb, why aren't you a candidate? Because... I'd vote for you. I'm a member. Heck yeah. Uh, I, 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 I didn't see that there was a call for candidates. So you missed it. And then, this is a failure, right? Like you, sh- you, it should have been more visible. We have to do better. I think, I think it's been very strange times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's face it. It's it kind of just got yeah. itself in the middle saying, ah, but I also feel like we cannot keep saying COVID-19 every time we make a mistake either, right? Like, I, I've, sure. I've been doing plenty of that myself, and it's like, at some point, we just have to do better. I think on that, yeah. I think, I think, I think it could have been wider. Am I the right person to push things forward? You know, not everybody is – I think you can have a lot of different kind of voices, to, well, to push for change. And some of them are hashtag make a scene and scream very loudly and, and make a lot of noise to make sure that the others can then have I've, a constructive I've conversation. Been on a bunch of boards. I don't know why I am. Yeah, well, you're an agitator, Seb, and I would <laughs> value your position. You need an agitator. Otherwise, yes. it's it too easy to just go, we good? We good. Okay, move on. No, it's the agitator that lobs the occasional grenade with love. And says, we should be doing better. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I think my role, my role there is easy for me to do because it comes pretty natural now. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I also have given a lot of thought about this. But at the same time, <clears throat> maybe next year, I mean, this time around, I received a whole bunch of messages saying, oh, my God, you're not candidate. Why are you not? Yes. As I said, I just didn't know it was there. But maybe next time, if people really, really feel that I have something to bring, maybe I will. But this time, I just want to use my voice to make sure that people are aware of the Dotted Foundation, aware of the elections, aware that I've been asking people on Twitter that are candidates what their views are on how we change the ecosystem for the better and that we've had some good conversations. You know, there's a guy called uh, Rodney Littles Mm -hmm. that has been discussing a lot about this and has positive things to say. There's Jamie Haworth and uh, they're a friend of mine, full Mm -hmm. advertising, Mm -hmm. but it's completely uh, on board with the idea that we don't do enough on transparency on that foundation and things need to change. So we have candidates that are able. I think they're going to communicate plenty about it. I hope they do. But really, we need to we need to ask them questions because they're candidates. We need to help them, but ask the questions because they are the representatives of the whole of the open source. Uh, well, the whole of the open source with the .NET open source world, or it should be. Yes. Well, and and I do think that the other aspect of this is we're still looking for an active group of folks who drive this thing very visibly uh, that that give it the distance from Microsoft to be critical and to build energy around how we would make changes that we that we think the our community would be better for yeah and i think i think you know maybe we lost a little bit of that because i got excited about the donut foundation because there was xamarin independent company mm-hmm. there was github there was uh, there was um jet there was aws and basically except for the github and the microsoft people which are now one and the same company yeah. uh it kind of went poof and I think we missed a big opportunity there of getting a voice to the other uh, .NETs. And maybe, maybe you know, it's the Conway law. We are just seeing a reflection. going back to a single message because we have a single organization. Yes. Well, you know, Xamarin and GitHub are part of Microsoft. Xamarin is absorbed into Microsoft. GitHub is a quote-unquote wholly owned subsidiary. And we, you know, we'll do with that what we may. You know, I, I have friends now who have moved from Microsoft to GitHub. Like it's a different badge. It's a different package. Like they're doing some sense of separation there. But I'm with you that two of the very strongest open source .NET voices in the industry in the past few years have become part of Microsoft. And so now we've got to hunt for more strong. .NET voices, and I'm and I'm talking about the entities rather than the individuals. And you know, I'm 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 very I'm very glad that uh, people that created the right businesses get their paycheck at the end of the day. It's great. It's sure. great uh, when you've been spending this much energy for a company. But the fact that Microsoft buys to extend is is not a sign of a healthy ecosystem because there will be no one left to buy <laughs> eventually at this rate. Yeah, the the question uh, is. Were those key pieces that they had to have rather than, you know, this, what you're hinting at, which is just, we simply absorb all the things. Cause I don't think that's true either. Right. They, I understand. I think everybody was pretty relieved when they bought GitHub and there was nowhere well, else for Xamarin to go. Not everyone. I think, I think for GitHub is, it's a great move, especially, especially, well, don't say that to people that are invested in Azure pipelines, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, but when I take the example of Xamarin, right, one of the beautiful things I remember one of the last conferences I did uh, in Chicago was discussing about what do we look, 
what would it look like to see the next C-sharp language kind of dragged by two separate companies that join together to figure out a new language extension, agree on how it's going to look like, and have uh, have people work in an honest, transparent, open way that profits the whole ecosystem, because it's by definition two companies that have interest in developing the language, but also interest in being able to develop their own product. That was a really exciting thing about C-sharp. It's what, how do we invent a C-sharp that's not designed by just one person? And it's just one of the examples of we gained the whole of the uh, targeting platforms. We gained what Maui will uh, will become in the future, mm-hmm. but we've lost that opportunity we would have had. Not necessarily to do design by committee, because we all know how that can go, but yeah. at least you have different influences on that ecosystem and those voices being heard. And when that was bought, we lost that. Yeah. I mean, a part of me is excited for Maui because we have to stop treating mobile as other. That, that now we are talking about that consolidation. And mobile's no longer new. Like, I don't know that we care that much to innovate in that space so much as we're tired of how flippin' hard it is to build software for mobile devices. Right. So, you know, the, the, the Gestalt says, if we've got to integrate to make this actually work properly, fine. When I look at the diversity of what happened happen and continues to happen on web dev and the diversity even that, that we're looking at with, you know, uh, things like WebAssembly – like there's still room for places to that have spots for innovation because they're not necessarily drags in the system or at least the drag is not so severe you know we've we've made jokes about the insanity of javascript libraries for a long time at the same you know i'm thrilled that angular view and react are all excellent and all different like that to me shows that this open model with a whole bunch of talented folks working in a lot of different places, typically with non-trivial influence by very wealthy companies, can build stacks that we benefit from. Yeah, absolutely. But why is it that the majority of web IDs and, and most companies will deal with multiple template languages for UX and uh, .NET only has Razor and only ever had Razor? I can tell you technically why no one wants to touch this stuff because I built it back in the days. It's not pluggable. It's not designed for being replaced. So you get the integrated stack because you either get the whole of the feature set or not. So, you know, it's great that it exists on JavaScript. I would love for it to exist on .NET, but it's not because we don't build good products enough. It's just because either the product is bought by Microsoft so it gets integrated or it dies because of lack of adoption, because the first developer that doesn't see its integration in Visual Studio work the same way as the other tool, which you can't do because you don't have access to those interfaces, mm-hmm. uh, it dies off. You know, I wrote a blog post about what I thought about Microsoft and open source and, and diversity in 2012. It's been eight years now. Nothing has changed. You can reread it today. It's called Microsoft and Open Source. I discuss uh, me uh, asking questions to Steve Ballmer about it and uh, getting a little bit of the same same problematic answers. The, the reality is nothing has changed in that respect. The day that there's an alternative view engines with support from Visual Studio for stuff that is actually used everywhere else, then we'll be in a healthy ecosystem like JavaScript is. And if we keep on just buying them and then putting them in the box, 
that's still not diverse because it's still Microsoft developing for Microsoft and us not having the capacity to innovate because if I can't get it adopted by my customers, my project will not have customers. If my project doesn't have customers, I can't attract more customers. And so it won't work anymore. I look at an example of Rob Eisenberg, who, you know, was making Durandal, realized he was running into Angular and moved to Angular. Now, eventually he left. But, you know, isn't there a place that this makes sense that we, when you do see that kind of resourcing and you do have a vision to contribute, that you just contribute on the project? I mean, in the end, none of us getting paid for this, right? It's open source libraries. I, I hear you, but the, the balance between the two is different. Again, Microsoft is mono project. Um, I think I think also the second so the first one is there's only one project with Microsoft for most of these things there's only one thing that survives there's very few exceptions that are still left mm-hmm. uh, but more importantly the design meetings on who gets to decide the priorities of the developers at Microsoft working on Microsoft code that gets published on Microsoft repositories unless you work at Microsoft you'll never be part of those design yeah, meetings I, you can do them do- online and you can have a chat on YouTube but the design itself will fundamentally be dream and it's usually driven by product development and that stuff is done in-house and it's normal it's their money right it's their developers i understand i empathize but why would you contribute stuff when you get told no we don't like that design it's not supportable it doesn't fit with x y and z and then you're left not being able to innovate because microsoft is not listening to the innovation but you want to bring it tells you what it needs to fit in what if product. that's the right answer seb and you just don't want to hear it uh thankfully the other communities that are not mono vendor tend to Tell me that there's another way. <laughs> That's the thing. We, we are, in some ways, what we're talking about really is the impact of these giant tech companies on the open source community as a whole. Because I think Google's in the same boat. Facebook's right. in the same boat. Like, you want to take a React in a different direction? Good luck. Yeah. But, you know, in theory, it's GitHub. Fork it. Do what you want to do. And if people call it flock to it, you know, maybe you'll be persuasive. And I think that it comes down to your arguments and whether or not it fits in with the other millions of Microsoft customers out there that, uh, you know, Microsoft has a strong history of being backward compatible, right? So they have to take care of all these other customers as well as innovate at the same time. I think what they did with .NET Core and now .NET 5 is addressing those issues in a in a pretty good way. I've you know what you said about Rob Eisenberg is is kind of key, Richard, because he went to work at Google, and the reason he left wasn't because they fired him; it was because they had a difference of philosophies. And you know, Google basically said, "No, we're going to do it this way." And he says, "Well, I don't think that's the right way to do it, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take my marbles and go home." But that was the right thing to do. Sure. And it just because it didn't work out well for Rob doesn't mean it wasn't the right thing to do. Yeah, and I still don't think it didn't sure. work out well for Rob. Rob stuck to his values. He fundamentally disagreed with what Angular decided they needed to do going from 1.1 to 2, which was hugely controversial. You know, they, they called a big ball there. And he's like, I can't be party to this. And, and kudos to him. You know, right. he did end up at Microsoft in the process, right? Like, that's sort of the interesting reality of it. But right, right. I, who doesn't like an ethical developer? Well, I think Microsoft has had developers like that. What's that, Sorbet? Historically, we've had a couple of... Microsoft has had a bunch of open source developers that were recruited and then quietly left. 
Um, yeah. And, well, that's sort of normal too, right? Yeah. Rob Connery went in, mm-hmm. came out, went in, came out. Like the, the, the different folks go to different places. It's also, you know, interesting. You got to look at the world too and say, there are times when it's tough to be an independent. And if a big company wants to pay you a salary and you can spend a year with them, you do it. Absolutely. But I, th- I think, I think the fundamental is you can always fork something and it's not just the engineering or the brilliant idea, but when, when the culture of the community you're in will allow people to have an open mind about adopting something that is not Microsoft. Mm-hmm. And it's not the big companies that just don't want to get fired because it's not Microsoft, but it's, it's the, the other side of the coin, which is, oh, well, why would we adopt that? Because on Microsoft platforms, those independent projects tend to die. That's what needs to change. So it's a chicken and egg problem. I hear you completely. And, Four kids or fork off uh, is perfectly <laughs> fine, you know? But there, herein lies uh, the idea when we talk about the foundation then, that isn't the foundation the place where, hey, if this project has made it to a point where it's part of the foundation, you as the consumer of projects can say, I have some confidence it's not going to die now. Yeah, it's a great approach. What I would like to see is if it's good enough for a large organization, why isn't Microsoft adopting that project from the .NET Foundation? That's the question, really. Okay, I'll I'll buy that, dude. That's a great point, right? Is. Is, is that part of the foundation's effort should also be to be advocating for their member projects within Microsoft? Of course, we completely agree on that. Yeah, no. Well, I think we're getting to a place like. You know, I adore you, right? Like you are my favorite, one of my favorite agitators and you've agitated well. And now I'm trying (laughs) to find that window where it's like, could they be more diverse in supporting these other projects? Absolutely. Yeah. And could they continue to advocate for that support to the broader industry that is arguably more conservative even than they are? Yeah, for sure. If we can get the foundation to a place where it is poking inside of Microsoft and saying, why are you building this when you could be using this as one of our member projects and it could use your support? Like, I think it's, we would be better for that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that's exactly it. It, We're exactly at the inflection point and at the change point where the .NET Foundation could become the, the, the actor that pushes Microsoft to adopt open source frameworks and, and, uh, and help open source frameworks grow rather than build their own. And I think that will be completely dependent on the people we elect. And that's why the selection is primordial because it will be a lost opportunity if we continue doing the same old. Well, I have a, a success story about the .NET Foundation and that's Polly. Mm-hmm. So Polly was an open source project started by Michael Wolfenden and it got some legs and people started using it within Microsoft. Uh, and, you know, Hanselman was using it and advocated. We started talking about it. And then AppVNext took over stewardship of the project. And we added all, a lot of features and we got it into the .NET Foundation and it made its way into .NET Core 2.1. So, and Poly right. still exists as a project, but parts of it are, uh, are forked inside of, uh, the HTTP client factory. In .NET Core 2.1 and higher, so there's a there's a story of success where the .NET Foundation actually did the thing that we would like it to do with other projects. But here's the deal: I, I see it as a meritocracy. If your project is worthy at, of getting into uh, a uh, you know either the .NET framework or another product, and it's the right time, and you know this it's something that 
Microsoft doesn't want to build themselves, then you've got a situation. James Newton King, uh, Newtonsoft JSON is another success story. So there are success stories out there, but you know, it's the cr- absolute cream of the crop projects that have, you know, huge support and huge downloads that get, uh, that get, uh, brought in to products, you know. And I, I, I agree with you. Everything that has been part of templates used to be the kind of first movements. I remember that jQuery yep. was a thing that Microsoft kept on repeating. We're putting it on support so our tech support will be able to answer questions. I think that's great. But if you remember correctly, and I'll talk about Newtonsoft, I understand why they did system.txt. It's, it's, they, they built a different API that had different principles. So I'm perfectly cool with it existing. Yeah. Um, but Newtonsoft at some point, if I remember correctly, was opening a text file when you added the NuGet package in Visual Studio because no money had ever been made and it was starting to cost too much just to host the project. So there was a commercial notice when you added it saying, hey, please support Newtonsoft. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that's the biggest problem is those projects were added. And that was brilliant. That was the first step. Mm. I have a feeling that Microsoft doesn't really want to do that very much anymore outside of, outside of uh, templates, but that just might be just the things I hear. But the other ones, money didn't come. But don't you think it has to be evaluated on a on a project by project basis? Not, you know, look at all the projects that they're uh, not paying attention to. They obviously have, you know, some, uh, you know, discontent towards these people. I, I think it is a per project basis. I've been advocating, however, for a very long time that there should be a process that each team tries to follow to be a nice citizen, mm. figure out which projects are there, see if any of them is close enough to what you want, understand what you need from that project to adopt them instead of just building your own, tell them what is required and suggest an investment either in time and money and marketing and documentation or all the other things that Microsoft needs for that. Mm. Suggest new compliance methodology if you need that for project change so that you can ship it. There's many of things that you could do to say, hey, I'm going to make a concerted effort to see if that project which we like right. we can bring in as a as a systematic thing before you build it right instead of going outside and saying we're thinking of replacing automapper with something in the box and then have the downfall from people moaning on twitter rightfully that it's not needed do you know what i mean yep. it's like i completely understand it's great when you get your project to that level where they can adopt it and i think all those conversations about maturity levels in .NET Foundation could have maybe gotten us kind of part of that, maybe, but that needs to be coming from Microsoft. But it needs to be not a, is it good enough for us to adopt, or is it close enough that we can help them become good enough to adopt? Mm. Because development time is development time is development time. But when you ask people in the .NET framework, they tell you no. There's been a couple of conversations on Twitter. They don't want external dependencies for stuff in the platform, full stop. So I hear you, but unfortunately, I think even Polly was pushed out into a second yellow. That's right. There's two packages. It, it was forked, yeah. Well, so we we hear you. We're nearly there. We hear you. You know, I'm I'm going to encourage you to dust off your blog there, Seb. I'd love you to write up the questions that the .NET Foundation members should be asking the candidates. Mm. Just to be to to really think harder about. Because I think people are confused about what the foundation could be doing for the ecosystem. Right. That it could be advocating for projects internal to Microsoft. That it could be raising enough money to provide financial support to projects that, that m- m- make sense to support. And they, they, we could be a far more powerful force than this. That's right. 
Well, I I can try. I'm in the middle of creating a new business, so it's always <laughs> difficult to figure out enough time and and, and space. Well, we've got some ingredients here <laughs> um, in this show, but I do think that your writing is very powerful, yes. and that that getting folks to really to to press the candidates to think more broadly, which is clearly what you've got here, be the change, would, Seb. Would benefit for everybody. Absolutely. All right, fine. I'll write. One. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, great. Fred. <laughs> Hey Seb, it's been really you know how to talk to It's me. been really awesome talking to you. Uh and uh th- these are, you know, these are hard topics and uh I, I thought we got through them civilly and uh with with grace now. Oh no, I liked it. I really liked it. Thank you so much. It's uh it's refreshing to discuss in in an open manner on these things yeah. and I know I always do it with you in private and it's great that people can hear the kind of chats we we, we tend to have from time mm-hmm. to time when we we when we can actually together. see one another, which yeah. has been a very long time, and we should do yeah. it again. Yep. <laughs> it's going to be a while yet, friend, I'm afraid. All right. Indeed. Thanks again, Seb, and thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.